Thanks for listening to the Best of the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. What up, Doug Gottlieb Show? Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you from beautiful, sunny Southern California. Welcome, welcome, welcome in. Um, let's start with this story. I, some people led with this story. We kind of, you know, my issue is, I, I don't think we cover the entire NFL like we covered the NFL, you know, for years when the Chargers were in San Diego. Even now in L.A., they're not covered the same as the Cowboys. Uh, I guess the Rams who won the Super Bowl and the Pittsburgh Steelers and whatever. For some names, some teams don't resonate, right? Arizona Cardinals are one of those teams. That, you know, if it was Larry Fitzgerald, we would talk about. It was Kurt Warner, we would talk about. But generally, the Arizona Cardinals, like, we don't discuss a lot of their things. You know? So, Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime both got an extension today. And here's the problem with the extension. We don't actually know if it has any meat to it. You know? And here's what I mean by uh, by meat to it. It's we don't we don't know... If it's how much is guaranteed money and how much the money actually is. So when you see, hey, that's 2027, uh, you know, and it's 2022, you're like, wow, that's a long time. But how many of those years are voidable? Yes, they went five wins to eight wins to 11 wins. Steve Kimes in his 10th season as GM, 24th with the organization. And you got to credit Steve Kime on some level where he drafted Josh Rosen, had a first-year head coach, and decided neither were working, pulled the plug, and brought in Kingsbury. He's a controversial hire. They go and draft Kyler Murray, and it's, it, it's, it's generally worked. My guess is that the real money in this deal is in the next two or three years, and that there's got to be some language in there for Kingsbury that, you know, yes, he had one year left, so that would take him through 2023, this probably goes 24 and 25. There's also no salary cap for, for agents, for GMs and head coaches. So it doesn't really matter how much they pay them, but how long they own that money could determine how solidly he is in his standing as head coach. So the question becomes, all right, uh, why give him an extension? Well, you give him an extension because either... One is contracts running out, which it sort of was. They had a year left. Most guys in the NFL don't coach with just one year left. Secondly, because you like the improvement and you expect to see more. The question with Kingsbury is, is this the ceiling for the air raid offense? Is it too simplistic for the NFL? And I'm not sure we still have, we still actually know because as much as Kyler Murray looked completely ill-prepared for the L.A. Rams and their pass rush, he didn't have DeAndre Hopkins, and he hasn't had DeAndre Hopkins. The whole thing has looked different. So this is a, hey, we like it. We're signing up for another year and have the ability to sign for two. But it's not like this is a lifetime contract where they move mountains. Kingsbury had no leverage. Kime, no real leverage. 
My guess is that it is a reward. There is financial incentive, but it's not the kind of, hey, here's the contract. Stay as long as you want. Here's as much money as you want. The question becomes, what happens with Kyler Murray, who his success and his play at the quarterback position is one of the things which has allowed both of these gentlemen to not only stay gainfully employed, but to get contract extensions. How responsible is he? He gets a, a, a ton of credit. They still don't have to pay him. He's under contract at minimum for two more years. And the reality is they can always franchise tag him. Just like Kingsbury's deal is probably a, hey, we're going to give you some money, but really we're waiting and seeing for the biggest of big money. That's likely what they're doing with Kyler Murray. You know, I mean, would you like to say, hey, all of them, all of them should get a contract extension. All are tied at the hip together. Sure. You'd like to say that. But the reality is, I don't think, like, contracts aren't just announced right after they're done. So if, when did that post, the Kingsbury, the, the uh, Kyler Murray post actually came out, come out, Jay Stu? Uh, I think it was Monday. Monday morning. Right. Was that I think it, it was, Dan? I think I think it was Monday morning as well. You know, I, I think it was Monday morning as well. So if Monday morning that post comes out, right, which is basically, hey, give this guy a contract extension because he deserves it. And now Wednesday morning, this gets announced. The guess is that in, you know, when Kingsbury's agent, Eric Burkhart, who's also Kyler Murray's agent, when they came to some sort of agreement over the weekend or maybe, you know, even on Monday, he was met with the, that's great. We're not doing anything with Kyler right now. And so instead of pocketing that, okay, and continuing to try and negotiate behind closed doors, anytime you send out a tweet, put it on Instagram, you draw attention to it, you're not doing it because you're getting your way. You're doing it because you're not getting your way. So to people who have asked, does this mean Kyler Murray is getting his extension? I believe it means no, it does not. Now, it helps him as you have the GM who drafted him and the coach who recruited him uh, to college and has built an offense around his skills. But does it absolutely mean he's getting extension? No, I don't believe it does. Bayer, do you agree? Do you disagree? Like, what do you think of what this extension means? Um... I, I listen. He actually deserves an extension for what they have been able to do. Um, they were not a good football team. He took over. What were they? Three wins when they drafted Kyler Murray. Yes. Uh, number one. Um, I I think that Cliff Kingsbury deserves it. I don't know if it's a true. Um, you know, this is a defiant of of Kyler Murray. Who that's who I thought he was kind of. I thought Kyler was upset with Cliff Kingsbury. I think they're actually separate. I think that this is common stuff, just like Steve Kimes said about Kyler Murray's agent doing his, you know, that's what agents do. I don't think that there is a huge, um, you know, disagreement between Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. I think that Kyler Murray just would want Cliff Kingsbury to maybe, I don't know, take a little bit more flack or at least have some off of his shoulders. But I don't think it's ownership signing with Cliff Kingsbury. Um by any means, do you think you do think Kings uh, that Kyler deserves a contract extension? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, but I, but I don't think that he deserves it now. Like we're we're 
not even a month after the Super Bowl that happened. He was not eligible for an extension um, until this offseason. And so they took like the absolute first opportunity to be like, hey, we want an extension. I, I just I don't think that that's I mean, like I understand wanting a new deal. But if you do it like immediately at the end of the season or just didn't like the first answer that you got, you have to understand that it's part of the negotiation. And to go and take it, you know, publicly the way that they did, and to have the removing of the social media references to the Cardinals, to me it's just I it it's immature and it's just way too early in the negotiation to have that sort of tactic. Completely agree. Completely agree. Completely agree. Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports. I got some Radio. news, Doug. Go. Uh, Kevin Durant is going to return for the Brooklyn Nets tomorrow night against Miami. Off the injury report, it will be his first game for Brooklyn since January 15th, Doug Gottlieb's birthday, that uh, Kevin Durant will be on the court. Had that sprained MCL, but he will return tomorrow night against the Heat. Okay, so you got KD back. And where is that game being played? I you know I don't know if it's in Miami or Brooklyn. I, well, Miami's yeah. on back to backs. They play tonight. Okay. So I it is in Brooklyn tomorrow. It's in Brooklyn. So then Kyrie still can't play, right? Correct. So weird. The whole thing is so weird. But uh, they're getting the band back together. That's that's only good news for Brooklyn, as they you know they need as much help as they can, and not having him would have meant they were going to lose that game. Now all of a sudden it becomes and, – and we're getting closer and closer to, to Simmons as well. Yeah, and, I, and I, I thought I saw on the scroll on ESPN that the Nets had the worst record in the NBA, like in the month of February, or at least in the span since Durant yeah. was out. Yeah. Yeah, they, yep. they desperately – they just need to get to the sixth. You don't want to you know, play the play-in game. But again, as you and I talked about, that East bracket, the way that it's situated right now – you could have a scenario where any one of the the three, I'll put the Heat and I'll say the four top teams, could have a path. You know, like if you're Brooklyn, you may have to face the Sixers, Bucks, and Heat in your playoff run. And even though you're better than them, that is not a playoff road that I would want to take. No, no, it, it's not. Uh, it's, here's what's fascinating: so they got Miami, then they go to Boston, which you know Kyrie will play, and they also have Kyrie and KD. Then you go to Charlotte, Kyrie and KD, right? Game you can win. Then to Philadelphia. Then you'd assume Simmons comes back right after Philadelphia. They got a couple days off before they take on the – then they got Knicks, then to Orlando. But the problem with those next couple games is the Knicks game, the Dallas to Portland, when you assume you'll have Simmons, is you won't have – as of now, you won't have Kyrie. You know, so they have a bunch of winnable games coming up. I mean, they still have Detroit. Uh, they still have – you know, another one with, with Portland, even though Portland's playing better, Houston. But a lot of these games are at home. And so they, they need that. I mean, one, they need KD, but they need Kyrie to be able to play at home before they can say, okay, now we can roll out and uh, we can actually beat, you know, start start getting a winning streak together. But you're right, that's, that's a difficult one. Let, let me get back to the Kingsbury story. Larry Fitzgerald Sr., of course, he's a talented writer in the Twin Cities. Okay. He tweeted that the two-time Pro Bowler, that's Kyler Murray, doesn't uh, doesn't know what it feels like to work through adversity and that Murray needs to be humbled. Remember, this is the dad of Larry Fitzgerald, who, of course, is, has retired, but with retired without really telling anybody. I'm, I'm assuming that 
Larry Fitzgerald Jr. will probably have some sort of formal announcement of retirement this year, this this offseason. But Larry Fitzgerald Sr., who's never been shy with his opinions as a sports writer, tweeted this. He's he's spoiled, brings his Oklahoma offense to the NFL and has to catch uh, has to catch up. Great talent. He's never been humbled. Keep working. That was Fitzgerald. Now, I would disagree that he hasn't been humbled. Remember, he started as a freshman at his dad's alma mater at Texas A&M, lost his starting spot. I don't know if he was humbled then. Then he transferred to Oklahoma, and he had to sit behind Baker before ultimately getting the spot and becoming the number one overall pick. But that is the running narrative about Kyler Murray, that the Kyler Murray you don't see is a guy who is spoiled and not accountable and hasn't bit hasn't really figured out how to fight through adversity. That that's what enough people say. And even though you're not hearing it from Larry Fitzgerald Jr., you're hearing it from his dad. Still, you hear it from enough people, and you start to go, "Yeah, that sounds about right." It's the Doug Gottlieb Show. It's Fox Sports Radio. Reminder: Bet River Sportsbook is the most trusted name in online sports betting. You must be 21, present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. To play gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. Um. You know, look, it's the middle of the week. It's hump day. It's the middle of our show, so we've reached... Stuck in the middle with you. It's time for... Stuck in the middle. The Midway. All right, this is the Midway. All right. The Midway. We try and find some fun, interactive topic to kind of get us over the hump. The Midway. All right, so this is the 60th anniversary of the Wilt Chamberlain 100-point game. So here's my question to the fellas, and maybe the question to you, right? The greatest single-game performance you've seen. We want to see, remember, what do you, how do you want to do it, Jace 2 I think that it's, we should make it personal in that either we were alive for it, saw it on TV, or actually were there in person um, or played you, in the game, maybe. Or played yeah, in the game. Yeah. How about that? That's a great one. Um, Dan, you want to go first? I know you have something prepared. I the do. Midway. Yeah, it's funny because you say personal. There, there was one performance that always stood out to me in sports that is one of the greatest performances, uh, single performances that that I had ever seen, and it's the 1991 World Series Game Seven where Jack Morris went 10 scoreless innings for the Minnesota Twins. That was that was like like I just game 7 of the World Series and your starter goes 10 and doesn't allow a run. Yeah, it, it it absolute crazy. But when you mentioned the personal thing, it all ended that Jack Morris reign ended for me on July 20th of 2021 when Giannis Antetokounmpo scored 50 points in a game 6 clincher for the Bucks over the Suns to have almost half of the team's points. And I know it's only half of what Wilt scored, but to do it in an NBA Finals Game 6. For a while, Jack Morris held this belt, but uh, Giannis now takes it over for me. The Midway. Those are good ones. I, I love the uh, the personal touch. John, do you have one? For me, it was uh, I was just really getting into baseball. I was like eight years old. Dodgers, obviously, my team. They're in the World Series and uh, Reggie Jackson hits like three, <laughs> three home runs in one game. I was unbelievable. I'm like, is that? Ha- I've never had seen that before. And a guy just take over an entire game, and of course, hence the name, Mister October. Wasn't Bob Welch 
Didn't he give up at least two of those? Yeah. Wasn't uh, that? It was Bert Hooten, Bob Welch, and yeah. uh, Charlie Huff were the three pitchers, I believe. Incredible. Um, the Midway. Now, I've, there are two things on this list. You know, I, I wanted to point out, like, an impressive single game, but then a not so. And I was I was actually at both of these games, and we've talked in the past about this. I was at Kobe's 60-point game. It's obviously not 100. It's not even his 82, but it was his last game. He was 37, his final game ever after 20 seasons, scoring 60, doing the mic drop at the end, being there in person. I'll, I'll never forget that. But I was also at Carson uh, for a November two, 2017 game, um, Bills against the Chargers, and I actually witnessed Nathan Peterman and his five – or yeah, five – Six was it? Five interceptions yes. against the Chargers. He had six completions total for the game for sixty-six yards with a passer rating of seventeen point nine. Um, that's really hard to do to throw five picks in a single half. By the way, he was replaced in the second half. The midway. My turn. Best for last. Okay. Um, I am not a Yankee fan. I am not a Derek Jeter fan, right? But he had a home run for his 3,000th hit. And on the final day of his career at Yankee Stadium, I know he went and played up in Boston afterwards, he goes five for five and has a walk-off. And it's one of those, like, if you had to describe to somebody what what made Derek Jeter special, right? Because... Unlike LeBron, I'm not going to go down as the all-time scoring leader. He's not going to have the most MVPs. not going to have the most home runs. not going to have the most hits. It was that Derek Jeter was seen as unflappable. Same batting average in the postseason as regular season. The idea is he's clutch. He's, he's clutch. And, it, it, and the easiest way to point that out is for his 3,000 hit, he hit a home run. And his last game at Yankee Stadium, he went 5-for-5 five five with a walk-off. Like that's it's incredible. That was that was incredible. That was that was his sixty point game to Kobe having sixty in his last game. I mean, I, I would I would say this about this, and I'm not going to taint your pick or anything, but I I would question the integrity of the pitching that day. I mean, I, Al Downing uh, questioned whether or not those pitchers were trying to get Derek Jeter out. Al Downing, of course, served up Hank Aaron's. Uh, or a record-setting home run. And remember, it was at Chanho Park who gave a real nice fastball down the middle of the plate to Cal Ripken in his final All-Star game. Uh, I questioned the integrity of the pitching that day to Derek Jeter. But other than that, it was an amazing, amazing performance. Uh, okay, of these, I mean, like, I think the thing about Wilt's record is this. No one's ever breaking it. All these other records that we have, it feels like with, won more games and more possessions and more offense. It does feel like just about every other record in sports is going to be broken or tied at some point. Will Chamberlain's record's never going to be broken. It just is midway. It never will. It, it's one of those things. Single game, 100 points. I mean, how, how many shots did it take Kobe to get to 82? Who's come close since? Nobody. I mean, you would think Steph or Clay could because of how many threes they take, but just the volume of it just seems so unlikely. I, I think the and Jason, when he brought up the Nathan Peterman portion of it, like the, the flip side of it, there are moments in sports where where 
you know, we remember Bill Buckner ball through the legs. We don't know what Bill Buckner did. Bill Buckner did that entire game. We just know what happened on that play. But when you go to like games or like what was an awful game, the one game to me that pops up is John Starks game seven ninety four finals when you go two of eighteen. Like when you talk about ineptitude or the flip side of the conversation that we are having, the John Starks game always pops up in my mind. Because it's known as the John Starks game, and you know exactly yeah. what we're talking about. The Midway. Am I am I a year off, or uh, was, was that series known for two things? Uh, John Starks and, and that performance, and was the slow speed chase also yep. during that series as yeah. well? Yeah, no, same series. Same series. Yep. Because the uh, next year was Nick Anderson's free throws, but that's yes. not the game. That's, again, a moment, but to just keep shooting. And <laughs> <laughs> not make it. Oh. Do uh okay, so what would be the greatest like to me it's like what's the greatest like pick sport, right? That that you've seen. Um I mean I remember Roger Clemens striking out twenty. Do you guys remember that game? Yeah. I do I remember Kerry Wood. Kerry Wood? Yeah. yeah, Kerry Wood was It was a Friday. Was, yeah. Rig at Wrigley Field. Yeah, against so the Astros. Filthy. So filthy. Back when the Astros are in the National League. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, I, I remember uh, Jeff Jenkins struck out six times in a game uh, for the Brewers. What what like, windmill, what what uh, what hat is that? Like the golden know. sombrero is three? <laughs> yeah, double golden, maybe. That, and double that, was golden. A time, that was a time when strikeouts were actually frowned upon in baseball. Yeah, now they're like, dude, that's <laughs> nothing. The Brewers, and this is... Maybe, you know, 20 years ago, like Jose Hernandez, remember the shortstop was he was uh, kind of all or nothing shortstop was going to set the record for most strikeouts in a single season. And they sat him like the final five games of the year because they didn't want that dubious record. Now guys are like, I don't care if I whiff, you know, 200 times. Uh, Mike tweets us. I'll take the 56 game hit streak. Mike, here's the problem. <laughs> Mike, you're not listening. The to the ex- you're not listening to the exercise. Mike, Mike uh, Musiaco, Musiaccio. Sorry, Mike. I mean, you got your, your name has to come with pronunciation, guy. My bad. But like, look, the deal is very, very simple. Simple, bro. You got to give us one game. It's about one game. I got uh, Mike Rofone tweets in uh, f- Pete Rose's hitting streak. Just <laughs> and I just said microphone. <laughs> Mike, Mike, Mike Rofone. Microphone, yeah. The Midway. We, we all were thinking of a different name, but Ga- let's Gary, just keep it clean. Uh, Gary tweets the show. You might want to remind, I think he's talking about Jason, that the or that Jeter's last game was against the Orioles. They have no integrity for pitching. They haven't for decade, <laughs> and one. I know that because I'm a lifelong O's fan. Good one. No, you're right. I stand corrected. They're horrible. They weren't intentionally horrible. They're just horrible. They're just terrible. That's and right. That was, it was the last the last home game, right? Because his last actual game was like at Fenway. And they took him out like in the fourth inning or something. Yeah, I will say yeah. this, and in yeah. listener Mike's defense, um, maybe he, he maybe he started this segment late. He caught on a little late because you did add an aspect to this segment when you said a single game or something that happened that will never be I, broken. And I think DiMaggio's fifty six is pretty safe. Yeah, never be never be broken. That's that's fair, especially that's fair. with the shift. That's fair. I want to throw in Tom Brady's whole career on this conversation. Uh, leader in passing yards. Sorry. <laughs> the Midway. What's the greatest football game performance you've ever seen? 
football game performance. Uh-huh. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, because my team won the game, but when Derek Thomas sacked Dave Craig seven times in a game against the Seahawks, but it was on the eighth time Dave Craig eluded the sack and found Paul Scancy in the end zone for a touchdown as the Seahawks won at Arrowhead. But, I mean, it was... He was in the backfield more than the Seahawks running backs were that day. But, yeah, seven <laughs> sacks against the uh, the Seahawks. I, I, I got one for you. This is actually recommended by a listener, and it's, it is it is true. And I think we're all going to nod our head and go, like, yeah, that was really good. That was really good. Brett Favre, Monday Night Football, after his dad dies. 399 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. They were playing the Raiders, so. <laughs> The Midway. That was amazing. That was, that was an incredible game. I I want to steal from uh, Frank Pomerantz, who is uh, on a podcast that Doug just did. Is it Frank? Um, maybe it's Gary. Okay, Gary. <laughs> if it's Frank, <laughs> then I'm going to have to go back and re-record the entire let's, podcast. Let's clean that up and post. Uh, <laughs> clean that up and post. Uh, so, uh Gary Pomerantz actually brought up uh, the Gale Sayers game. I guess he scored like six touchdowns, <laughs> kickoffs, and, and uh, as a running back and everything else. Like it, Ramos? You're you're you're, you're silent here. What well, do you got, no, Ramos? I don't. One game I remember that was stuck out to me was Eric Dickerson. I think he ran for like 224 yards against the Cowboys in the playoff game. Uh, I mean, which is a lot of running and play in regular season. It's still a lot, but in the playoff game when you have to win. Uh, to go for over 200 yards rushing, that's not bad. So that's the one I remember. The Midway. I think we all remember when Red Grange scored four touchdowns in the first quarter against <laughs> Michigan. Was that against Johnny Lujak and Notre Dame? <laughs> and the four horsemen? Oh, um, I'm surprised John didn't go Flipper Anderson. Running into the tunnel after New Orleans? Yeah. Yeah. You know what, what about, I? I actually what about Bo Jackson. What about Joe, Bo Jackson? Ninety-one yards uh, around, yeah. around the We're end talk about against that. the Seahawks, and then he go, went and then he went through the tunnel. Like anything, Bo Jackson. But no, I, especially against the Seahawks, because Byers a Seahawks oh, man. Right. And it, I'm telling you, fifth grade. <laughs> that was. That, I brought that story up recently. I think maybe it was on uh, last week when you were out, Doug. I remember Tony Dorsett running like a hundred yards from like the one yard line in a month. I think it was a Monday Night Football game. Yeah, he just ran. So it was ninety nine yards. Yeah, ninety nine. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. against the Vikings. Negative ninety nine. I know what you were saying though, but they were at the goal line. <laughs> Hold on a minute, let me do this. The midway. Are there any sports moments we have left out? Um, <laughs> we've done a lot. Of we've done all sports. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I had a great single game performance when I slept All right. through an entire game on the couch. I'm kidding. I'm trying to think. I like. <laughs> what about for you? What yeah, was your what best single your game performance, high, Doug? Was it like a high school game? Was it like a yeah? High school. Okay, high school. High school. I had 44 Woo! against Woodbridge High School. Woodbridge High School. My old uh, AU teammate from when I was a kid, Adam Libby, was on the team. So too, I think that was they. They had Chris Burgess, who's who was an All American, went to Duke. And then he ended up transferring to Utah. Now he's actually assistant BYU. I had 44. But actually, this is one of those, the next time we played them, I only had 32, but I was actually better. I had 18 at the end of the first quarter, and they put two guys on me everywhere I went. So I still ended up with like 32 and like, I don't know, 16, 17 assists, but I literally had two guys on me the whole game. It was kind of cool. The Midway. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. 
Doug Gottlieb show, Fox Sports Radio. He was an All-American in college. He was the, uh, what was he, the, the fifth pick of the NBA draft by the Atlanta Hawks. He was defensive play of the year uh, in college. Of course, he's Mr. Basketball in the state of Oklahoma. He's Sheldon Williams. He joins us on the Doug Gottlieb show on Fox Sports Radio. Sheldon, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How you doing? Great, man. I know you have that uh, Duke podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. And for anybody who doesn't hasn't, it's all about Duke. It's all about the Blue Devils. When you're you're in Oklahoma City as a high school star, right? And at the time, again, it's hard to remember. At the time, no, no, oh, no. I know huh? you're going with this. I know you're going with this. But uh, yes, I used to watch you at Oklahoma State. I used to drive up there and watch you uh, play a lot of times uh, when I was there. There, so you're not that much older than me. But I remember uh, watching your games at Oklahoma State. What what I what I mean though is, and, and I appreciate that. What I remember is like. Look, when you were in high school, we were good. Tulsa was good, right? They went to the Elite Eight in 2000. We went to the Elite Eight. Oklahoma went to the Final Four, right? And yet, you left to go to Duke because, well, Duke was Duke. So, again, take me into 17-year-old Sheldon Williams and the first time you met Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, Yes. um, So, I'm at Duke for an uh, unofficial visit with me and my dad. And uh, kind of rewind a couple years before that, uh, my dad was telling me that Coach K was at one of my uh, AU games. And uh, at the time, I didn't really believe him because I was like, no, there's no way that he's at one of my games. Because at the time, we didn't see a lot of people leaving the state of Oklahoma going to you know other programs like that unless it was for football. And uh, while I was getting recruited, I got my first mail from them when I was in high school, and I was like, okay, well, it's actually legit that he was actually looking at me and was uh, recruiting me. So uh, going on to an unofficial visit, I really liked my time there. He comes into uh, Oklahoma City and meets my family. And when he came into the, the doors of my uh, my home, he was able to not only recruit me, but he was actually um, there for the whole family and wanted to see my characteristics uh, beyond basketball, and that's one thing that kind of sold me with that, where he also challenged me on the court, but also wanted to know about my character, and as you see, throughout his whole years of you know being a Duke and being a coach, he always has good character guys. Uh, what ultimately made you decide to go play for Duke? Well, my dad being an educator, and my parents being strict on uh, uh, academics, it was the, both, the best of both worlds. I mean, I didn't think that I was going to be a professional basketball player leaving the state of Oklahoma. I knew that if I had got my degree from Duke, it would set me up for things that I wanted to do later in life, uh, whatever I cho- chose to do at the time. But I, I wasn't expecting being, you know, a professional athlete the, the way it kind of planned out. Sheldon Williams joining us here on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. So what was it really like? I mean, Coach K, it speaks for itself. I mean, he's been uh, able to relate to college players, uh, professional players, USA team um, players. I mean, he has done a really good job where he stayed relevant over the course of all this changing generations that have been coming over and over again. He's able to find, that's one thing he, he kind of prides himself on, but he kind of finds ways to connect with a lot of different people that are not even close to half his age, and yet the respect factor is going to be there because it is Coach K, and he's a legend of what he's been doing for 42 years at Duke. But he's also 
great at just relating to whoever he's talking to and finding a way to actually connect with them. And that's something he's been able to do. And as you see, with the generations turning over and over, he's able to do you know what he's done over this long of a career. Okay, so, but 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 how? How is he able to do it? How is he able to relate? I know he can, but like again, you lived it, and Grant, this was twenty years ago, but you lived it, right? And the more we read, like you know, Eno Connor's new book, he's he's not the easiest guy to play for, right? I mean, he he gets after guys. I mean, it's one of those things where TV has never truly prepared people for what it's really like to watch Coach K do what he does. How how has he been able to relate to kids? Well, like I said, he's able to actually relate to them. That's something that he's able he's been able to do. Not a lot of coaches can relate to several different people. He's able to relate to each individual that he recruits. That's one thing that propels him to be a better coach and a better person because he's able to connect with these people by relating to whatever it is that this person has or does, and they might not be the same for this other person. So he's able to find out his niche with everybody that he's recruiting and able to relate to them on that level. And that's how he connects. You know, um, I found with my late coach, Eddie Sutton, that when I finished playing, the relationship changed and evolved for the better. Is that the way it works at Duke? Well, I mean, you know, we're longer playing for him no more. So <laughs> the, the yelling and, uh, you know, things like that kind of stops, uh, if that makes sense and everything. But, yeah, I mean, you, you go in there as a 17-, 18-year-old kid and you leave as, you know, a 23, 20, 22, 23, if you stay in uh, the whole course of time uh, as a young uh, young man. So things uh, evolve. So he kind of watched you grow from the high school aspect to uh, who you're going to be in life. So it's, it's actually pretty cool to actually see him now because I'm like, well, this is – I know he's older. But I'm like, this is not the same coach that I had because, you know, he was a lot more fiery with different things that you know that we did wrong. I'm waiting for that to happen. But like, okay, well, I understand because you can't. And that's one thing he he, he kind of done where he's actually able to change with the, the generation, where he knows how to pick and choose how to get on each team. And every team is not different. But I'm kind of relating it to my teams and my experiences. I'm like, oh, this wouldn't fly when I was in school. But you yeah. know, like I said, everybody's different. Yeah, everybody gets a little softer as they get older as, as well. What do you think of this team? What do you think of this team? Um, just like with any team, I mean, uh, uh, this is a different day and age where, you know, guys not staying the, you know, three or four years, uh, you know, like the whole team would do uh, back when I played. Uh, it's a lot more one and done. So you'll see, I mean, as you see throughout the course of college basketball, it's so chaotic, especially this year. I mean, what was it, last week where uh, I've never seen it before where top one through six, all off on the same day. Like, it's been so chaotic with basketball, which, as a fan, I'm loving because I'm going to love March Madness. It's going to be so unpredictable, and you don't know what's going to happen uh, in that aspect. But, honestly, I think with this team, it's a team that's still young to try to find their way, but they also have found ways, especially with uh, Wendell Moore being the captain and the, him being, like, the, the sole you know, a player that's been playing a lot of minutes throughout the whole course of uh, his new career, to be able to rely, rely on uh, his veteranship, I guess you want to say, to kind of steer this young team into what they need to be, and hopefully they make a run for the uh, AC tournament and also Mark Madness. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting because – 
you know, Wendell Moore's not really a point guard, and yet he's kind of their best point guard just because he's mature and he's a great, good passer and seems to be a good leader. And kind of they've they found a way as the other point guards haven't always provided what they needed. They they found a way to you know to to navigate that without the greatest point guard play. And traditionally, when Duke wins a national championship, they have great point guard play. That that's the fascinating part to this team. Yeah, I mean, uh, Window kind of stepped into his own uh, uh, more so this year than he has his first previous uh, two years. And he's been that utility guy where, all right, we need you to get us 10 assists. We need you to go ahead and get 10 rebounds. We need you to score points. He's been that guy where he's been doing it all, kind of like a Swiss Army knife. He's just kind of got a lot of things that he can do at any given time. And whenever Coach acts up on him to do these things, he's been able to step up and do that. Sheldon Williams joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Um, what was your reaction to John Shire getting the nod to be the next guy? Well, I mean, it, it made sense after, um, you know, thinking about it. Like, when I was in school, I thought um, either Johnny Dawkins, Chris Collins, Steve Wojciechowski, those were the assistants when I was in school. I thought maybe one of them was going to get the job. And then uh, they all left and went to uh, different schools. And then uh, Capo came back. And I'm like, right, well, maybe Capo's going to be the guy that's going to you know, take over. You know, we were guessing just like everybody else was guessing, too. But John Shire, he's been the head assistant and head uh, associate for a while. I mean, as you see what he's doing uh, now, got the number one recruiting class coming in next year in the top five uh, for the following year. So he, he's picking up what Coach K left off. So it's been good to see that. And also, I mean, uh, when Coach K got sick a couple times, he's already got two wins under his belt as the head coach. Are you going to the game this weekend? Yes, yes. I'm going to be there for the the curtain call, if you will, uh, so to speak. Well, I mean, and it couldn't be any better, right? It's Carolina, but Carolina shouldn't be able to compete with them. I mean, you look at what they did to Carolina in Chapel Hill. Um, I mean, I would guess there's got to be a hell of a text chain, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, the thing is with these two teams, nothing is off the table. I mean, we've seen in the past where one team is ranked high, one team is ranked low, and it's still a close game. So it doesn't matter about, you know, what happened a couple weeks ago. I'm sure things are going to play different. It's always going to be a grind-out type of game. And I wouldn't be surprised that it's going to be a different a different turn out for North Carolina making a closer game. But I'm hoping that we still be able to pull out the W. But I'm sure they're going to fight harder at our place. All right, give me your give me a Coach K story. Give me the best one that you can tell on radio. The best one I can tell on the radio. Yes. Um, well, I, mean, I, I guess I can go back to uh, when you started the interview with uh, recruiting. Um, I was fortunate enough to get recruited by pretty much every school, and coach uh, and they was all for they was all offering offer me um, offering me um, a head. Uh, I'm sorry, a starting job, and Coach K was the only one that came to my place and told me that I can compete, have the opportunity to compete for a starting job. And me being a competitor at 17, 18 years old, and I'm over like, who are you to come into my house telling me that I can compete for a starting uh, job when all, all these other schools told me I can start right away? And that kind of got me a little bit fired up. Like, you know what? I need somebody that will always challenge me no matter what. And uh, other coaches, they didn't seem to do that they were trying to give me something that um, I didn't work for. And he was the one like, I'm not going to get you anything that you didn't work for, whether you be the star on the team or the 
last man on the team. If you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it. And that's something that I really liked about Coach K because he's always finding ways to push buttons and making you making sure that, one, you stay uncomfortable so you're always pushing your, your limits. Awesome stuff. Hey, Sheldon, listen, great to catch up. Uh, enjoy, I enjoy listening to your podcast as well. Thanks so much for being our guest, and we'll talk soon. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right, this is Sheldon Williams, former All-American at Duke. Of course, he's got the Duke Podcast and the Believe Podcast Network. You can follow him on social media at Sheldon. Remember, that's S-E-H-E-L-D-E-N, Sheldon Williams. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you from sunny Southern California. About 80 inside, but the takes are much hotter inside. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, Sheldon Williams is going to join us upcoming uh, in 25 minutes. Like, Sheldon Williams. Yeah, remember number four pick in the NBA draft? Mike Krzyzewski is going to coach his final, final regular season game as head coach of the Duke Blue Devils. What was it like to be recruited by and play for uh, the legend? I'm going to ask Sheldon Williams. He'll join us later on in the show. Plus, we'll talk... Some about the NBA. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury got an extension. What's that mean for Kyler Murray, if anything? Andrew Brandt's going to join us later on the show. We'll also talk some Packers as we continue to wait on Aaron Rodgers. But let's start with last night before, but the Lakers lost again. LeBron had this exchange with a reporter after the loss to Dallas. What is your level of confidence right now that you guys will be able to figure out the things that you're talking about? Because we still have games to play. You know, until you stump me out, cut my head off, bury me 12 feet under, then I got a chance. So that's my confidence. You know, obviously, you know, at the end of the day, we got to come in and win ball games and we got to play better. But as long as we got more games to play, we still have a chance. So that's my confidence. You know, I hate losing. I feel like poop right now. But tomorrow's a new day and I'm going to be prepared and ready for, for the Clippers on Thursday. But that's just that's my mindset. That's just who I am. Um, until you bury him 12 feet under, that's a deep, deep grave. <laughs> uh, LeBron is bigger than most human beings, right? And he's the king, so maybe he needs a deeper grave. But I always thought it was six feet under. Do we have an official ruling, uh, Jason Stewart, on how deep you're supposed to be buried underground? I th- I, I think – I want to say LeBron just got his words mixed up there. It, uh, six feet, I think, is the common – because uh, 12 feet takes a whole lot of digging. It's a lot of digging. Uh, but that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's a lot of digging. I'd hit a water, a water that's main a, if that's, you go that that's a, that's a, we're, we're going that deep, right? Now we're, now we're hitting a water main. Now we're getting pipes. <laughs> now we got all kinds of issues. But maybe it's just like he's a high achiever. You know, some guys, six feet under. Me, 12 feet under. That's who I am. That's, that's how I roll, right? That's, that's how I roll. They, they were down, uh, what, like 24 in the first half, came back, took the lead. Uh, in the third quarter, and then ultimately succumbed to Dallas and to Luca. Luke ends up with 25, 8, and 5. Did have six turnovers in his own. Luca and Jalen Brunson. But man, so now LeBron is, hey, we got a chance. Why? Because I'm not dead and buried. And if I'm not dead and buried, we always have a chance. Gosh, that's cheesy. And I understand the mentality of it. And on some level, you respect it. But it just comes across as almost Russell Wilson-esque kind of hokey and I don't think we 
What a mess. Now, on the positive side, if there is a positive side, is they're going to get Anthony Davis back this year, right? And they'll likely be in the play. And if they're in the playoffs, they can they survive to the playoffs. And you're like, well, they'll, they'll make the playoffs. You don't even have to make the top eight anymore. Okay, remember, these last three losses in a row, okay, and six out of the last seven, yes, when you lost to the Bucks, they're a good team. Portland is not. Golden State is. Utah is. You beat them. The Clippers don't have Kawhi, don't have Paul George. You lost to them. New Orleans is far below 500. You lost to them. Then Dallas. Now you have the Clippers again, then Golden State, then at San Antonio. You do have Houston and Washington before you go to Phoenix. Like, the road is not exactly easy. So what happens if they don't even make the play-in? Because one of the things that people are struggling with, and I think Shaquille O'Neal is struggling with this, is do you trade away LeBron James? Right? Shaq's the one who said, if you trade away LeBron James, you're not, you know, you'll never win again. Like, okay. You know, they kept Kobe too long and Kobe retired and they went five years where they didn't win. But they, Shaq walked out the door and they won again. Kareem, Magic, they won again. Kobe, they won again. So there is truly no, um, there is truly, truly no uh, history that agrees with with Shaquille O'Neal, and I think I think what Shaq's getting to is if you ditch LeBron, then what other stars are going to come to L.A.? The problem with that is which stars really came to L.A. on the out of their own volition, even when you had LeBron James, right? They had to trade for Russell Westbrook. They had to trade for Anthony Davis. Granted, neither were free agents, so that's why the deal had to be moved. But it's not like you've gotten all these guys signed up saying, I'll take whatever it takes, however little it takes, to play with LeBron and to win a championship. That hasn't taken place. So it's just bad and not getting better. And the, hey, I'm going to keep fighting until I'm 12 feet under, I, I guess right now you're six feet under and that seems to be enough. I don't know. In the what do you do, you get this question all the time from people. Do you trade LeBron? Do you trade Anthony Davis? Do you trade Russell Westbrook? Obviously, if you can part ways with Russell Westbrook in the offseason, that's great. The problem is that if you're going to give somebody that sort of contract, you're going to have to take something bad in return. Right? Then I just go like, hey, why don't you give us that $47 million contract that we're likely going to buy out? And you, you just, you're good. You know, hey, you know what? We'll give you a, our all-star. We'll give you whatever. Like, that's not how the world works. <laughs> it's not. It's Cowherd proposed to trade uh, and it was from LeBron to the Miami Heat. And it was like Tyler Hero and a bunch of other spare pieces for LeBron James. Like, you're not making that trade. No chance. Just like no one's making the trade of taking on Russell Westbrook unless you're going to give the Lakers back some sort of turd, some sort of a contract that, you know, probably longer and cost prohibitive in terms of getting rid of as well. But man, that just, I, I do like that they fought back. You know, you're down 24 in the first half and lots of teams would just, all right, we're good. It is the NBA and everybody kind of makes a run. But I do like that the Lakers showed some fight. 
But at the end of the day, like, they're not beating the 500 teams and the below 500 teams. What leads anybody to think that they'll beat the good teams, even when Anthony Davis returns? Real credit card questions require real people. Someone who understands your issues works with you to resolve them. That's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Ramos, would you say? I have information on the uh, the six feet under. Um, okay. My search on Google indicates that twelve foot under is just not a thing. Like he just he blatantly misspoke. So yeah, it happens. So maybe you're right in that he if he's a king, maybe they do go deeper into the ground. They go but deeper. Average they go deeper. for this for this country is like three and a half feet. Really? It depends state to state. Uh, six feet under is just kind of the. The old euphemism or the old cliche. So I think he was just mixing cliches. There's there's no twelve feet under. Sorry. What is what is the twelve feet even a cliche for? Well, the six feet free throw, free throw line, ninety four by fifty is the court uh, length. Six feet under. I'm just trying to six feet is it was the social distancing. Maybe he wants to be doubly social distance if he <laughs> if he gets. I think that's it. He wants double of whatever it is in life. Look, I like this. Is by the way. This is the should have been the mantra before the All-Star break. Right? This should have been the mantra before the All-Star break. Like people think it's bad, we got plenty of games to play, we'll be all right. Instead, it was about not closing the door on Cleveland, about Bronny, about their unhappiness with Palinka not pulling off the John Wall trade. And I've been led to believe that it's not totally about the John Wall trade. It's more that they didn't make the Kyle Lowry trade last year at the trade deadline, and most of the players believe that had they made that deal, they they would have been in a better place than playing Phoenix. You sur- you survived the first round, and now you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and anything could have happened, right? So it's it's more of a of a, and I actually think they're right about the Kyle Lowry last year because it was an expiring deal, and you know the. They didn't. They want to hold on to THT, and now they're offering up THT other places. So, but the 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 issue with this is, and and I know that what you say publicly doesn't really matter, but it does. In they came out of the All Star break like a like a bunch of guys who had just met each other in the locker room. There was no energy. There was no cohesion. They definitely didn't look like a team. Last night and coming back, they kind of did. They showed some fight, but I think a lot of that was a reaction to LeBron and to these stories and to Westbrook thinking, wait, LeBron wanted me traded and they wanted John Wall. Like all of those things seem to be kind of hanging and hovering over them. Hanging and hovering over them. Um, Those first couple games after the All-Star break. Had he simply said this all year, hey, we're good. We just got to keep, stay in the fight, stay there. We get healthy, we're good. But the die becomes cast when you allow negativity to creep in on your best player and when he looked disengaged. Like, let's just be honest. You know, my buddy, LeBron wants to be buried like a famous Laker Laker dunk, hence the, the 12 feet. He needs to be upright. Oh. Well, if LeBron's buried upright at 12 feet deep, then at the very top of his head, right, he's less than, he's more than five feet. So maybe bury me 12 feet under. Yeah, he got bury me 12 feet under. <laughs> that's funny. I like that. I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. 